Hello and welcome to the THCC podcast. Thank you for joining us. At THCC, we are a vibrant, multicultural and multi-generational church at the heart of East London in Tower Hamlets. And we gather every Sunday to worship God, learn more from the Bible and have fellowship with one another. Our passion and desire is to see the community around us to be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now it's time for this week's sermon and we pray that this message you're about to hear would be a real encouragement for you in your journey with Jesus. Um, The readings from Romans chapter 12 starting at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, Let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And I'll just pray for Tony. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Tony, Lord. Thank you for the love that he has for you and the love that he has for your word. Just pray that you'll bless him now as he he teaches us, Lord, as he um, brings us your word. Just pray, Lord, that you would encourage him and bless him as he does it, Lord. And pray, Lord, that we'll hear your voice speaking to us, Lord, and that we will respond to you, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the words that you bring us. Amen. Thank you, Leslie. So, New Year's Day. We got a little gift in our house. Our boiler decided to break down, which meant no hot water, which meant no um, heating. And um, have you tried to find someone to come out and fix a boiler? It's kind of hard. Most people don't even return your messages. And particularly the first week after a few bank holidays. So by Thursday, we managed to find someone come out and fix the boiler and he came and there were two of these guys and they started to play around with our boiler and uh, they did a great job of fixing it but here's the thing there were two of them and as I watched what they did at times the guy who was in charge he was training up somebody else and he'd say right can you go get that please can you do this and I watched and together they did a really good job now I'm sure that that guy could have done it all on his own. But A, he wanted to, to train up this other guy, but actually it worked better with two people than with one. Also, the other thing I noticed 
is that at various times, the guy who was in charge said, oh, can you get that from the van? Can you go get that from the van? Can you go pick that up? And they brought out various things that they needed to do to do the job. Now, why am I telling you that? Well, uh, firstly, I've got that boiler engineer's number. If you need it, come and see me. He's a good guy. (laughs) But uh, secondly... Because we're starting a series today looking at spiritual gifts. We're going to follow on from 1 Corinthians uh, and then look at some of the gifts that it talks about there and in Romans. And it's really important that we understand that God gives us gifts for a reason. One of the things that I want us to see is that gifts are given to us together as a body. It's never a one man or one woman show. Actually, the gifts that God gives to us are to be used together. But also, God gives us gifts for the task at hand. Can you imagine if uh, the guy said, okay, to fix this boiler, uh, I'm going to need, and he, you know, he, he took out this uh, suction thing to clear part of a pipe. Can you imagine if he said, sorry, I don't have it? Or... Um, you know, the, the next thing he needed when he needed to unscrew part of the boiler. Sorry, I'd love to fix your boiler, but I don't have the spanner to do that. You know, I'd love to do this, but sorry, I haven't got the tools. You would think, well, why come around my house and disturb me? Why take the money off me if you're not even going to bring the tools that you need? Or worse still, if he said, oh, that spanner, yeah, I've got one of those. It's in the van. And then just sat there looking at the void boiler. Or then saying, oh yeah, yeah, that pump, yeah, there's one of those in the van. And he turns to his mate and the mate says, yeah, yeah, we've got one of those, it's in the van. And they just sit there smiling and doing nothing. But you know what, that's how church can be sometimes. God has given us the tools we need for the task that he's called us to do which is to go and to make disciples of all nations. And God gives us the gifts that we need. And we need to really be eagerly desiring the gifts that God has given us to do the task that he's given to us. But also, we need to not just have those gifts, but we need to be prepared to use them, don't we? You know, can you imagine if on Sunday we had nobody who was prepared to lead worship and yet we had 10 first class musicians in the church? We'd be thinking, it's great you've got those gifts, but why don't you use them? And so during this series, I want to encourage you to be thinking about what are the gifts that God has given to you? How can you grow in using them? And also realizing that church isn't a place where we only use our gifts when they're honed and perfect. Do you know, in a lot of churches, I find that's one of the big things that holds them back, is that the gifts are there, but because we're not perfect or we don't know how to do something perfectly, we won't do it at all. And that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. Together we are on a journey, learning, growing, using the gifts, the talents that God has given to us. And we grow as we use them. Here's the other thing. As we try doing new things, we may discover 
what our gifting is. Have you ever tried something and you didn't know that you would be good at it until you tried it? I heard of somebody who picked up chess just at some point in their life and soon discovered that they had the, quite, the brain for it and were soon beating chess masters at chess. And they'd only recently picked it up. They just had a natural gift for it, but they didn't know until they started to try it. And I think that there are some of us here who have all kinds of gifts, but you've never tried, you've never stepped out. And I believe that God wants to use some of this series, some of what's going on in our lives to grow us as a church so that we can be better resourced to do what God has called us to do. Now, you might want to also check out the sermon from the series in Corinthians that was preached on the 9th of October uh, on the THCC website. That talks a bit more about gifting, so I don't go through all of that today. But I just want to talk today mostly about the gift of mercy, but also just an introduction to this about gifts in general. So think about that. What gifts do you have? How are you growing in them? And how are you using them? What gifts do you have? So Romans 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, every one of you. What does every mean? It means all of us. You know, understanding and growing and being a part of a body and being using our gifts is something for all of us. For the grace by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. God has given gifts to each of us. So this topic concerns each of us. You know, sometimes we can be in church and we can hear a sermon and think, oh, I don't really need to listen to that. It doesn't really apply to me. Or actually, I've already mastered that maybe, even if we're feeling particularly proud. But this sermon today is for all of us. Because all of us need to know and understand the gifts that God has given to us. Let me say, these gifts are gifts of God's grace. You know, Eric reminded us in the prayer earlier, didn't he, when he prayed uh, for the children, that it's, it's the grace that comes through God the Spirit, that the grace of God is what helps us and changes us. So gifts are given, they're not earned. God's gifts are not a reward for good behavior. They're not like key stage four that you attain them on the next level. They're not uh, for hire. They're not to be sold. Um, But they're to be grown and developed and used and nurtured wisely. Their attitude that, that, uh, that starts this passage is, By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. So the context is body together. But also the context is not individualistic. He says, don't think too highly of yourself. It's very easy, isn't it, sometimes to be seduced by someone's gift. One of the big problems in a lot of the modern church is that someone has a gift 
and the church puts them on a pedestal. And then that person thinks, oh, I'm so smart, it's because of me. And what's happened is a corruption of God's grace. The gift is given by God, it's to be exercised in humility, in community, in a sense of growing with others. The gifts are all, perhaps with the exception of the gift of tongues, are given for the benefit of others. They're all given for the benefit of others. The gifts that you have are not about you, but they are about others. And I think when we understand that, it really changes things. Because it also means, if I don't use my gifts, if you don't use your gifts, if we don't all grow in discovering and using our gifts, what happens? Others miss out. The church becomes incomplete. I was, uh, my nephews got into doing jigsaw puzzles. These, um, you know, these thousand piece jigsaw puzzles. And some of them are like 80% blue sky. So they're just random blue pieces. And uh, I was talking to him. He likes doing them. He says, I sometimes pick them up in charity shops. He said, but the frustrating thing about getting a puzzle from a charity shop is often one or two bits are missing. And that's what church is like when we withhold our gifts. Right now, lots of workers are going on strike. Actually, sometimes we can be a bit like that in church, can't we? And we say, I'm not using my gifts. Maybe not because we want a raise. Uh, Maybe it's because we're a bit shy. Maybe because we don't want to put ourselves forward. Maybe because last time we did it, it didn't work out well. But without... You using your gifts, our church becomes less. We become the charity shop puzzle with a few pieces missing. As we grow together in gifts, we grow together as church. We grow together as family. You know, as we step out in our gifts, as we make ourselves vulnerable, we build relationships together, don't we? There's nothing like serving for building friendships as part of church. Verse 4 says, For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each one, each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Different parts of the body have different gifts. That's good, isn't it? Aren't you relieved that we're not all the same? It's a good thing, isn't it? That we have different passions, different talents. And that's really important because if we're going to really use and come together and all be able to use our gifts and grow, we have to realize that we need each other. We need the gifts and talents that God has given sovereignly to his church. We need each other. We don't need one gift times ten. But actually, often we need ten gifts flowing together. We need to understand. And the the body analogy makes the point that sometimes it's the little, almost unseen parts that we have to give most honour to. So we need each other, but also we need to be comfortable in our own skin. 
It's so important that we allow God to be God and we use the gifts that he has chosen to give to each one of us rather than desiring someone else's gifts. I don't know if you've ever looked at someone and thought, they're just amazing. I was just watching Io play the keyboards thinking, how does he do that? It just doesn't seem to make much effort, but it works so well. Now, I'm completely tone deaf and unmusical. And I can look at someone like Io and say, I want Io's keyboard skills. But actually, God hasn't given me those. Now, with a lot of hard work, I might be able to pick up a few bits. But Io is using a skill and a gift that God has given to him. Probably combined it with hard work. But thing is, that's not my gift. And you should be grateful that I'm not playing keys today. But I want to encourage you. What gifts has God given to you? If you're not sure, I want to challenge you. Ask somebody afterwards. Ask somebody who knows you a bit. Isn't it funny? Sometimes we know somebody else's gifts more clearly than our own. I'm sure if I asked you to talk about the gifts of other people, most of us would be more comfortable doing that than talking about our own gifts. But God has given gifts for a reason. At the same time as talking about the fact that during this series that we need to grow in the gifts we have, I also want to encourage you, let's not be limited by the gifts we have. You know, church often involves all of us doing different things and sometimes they're not the things that we might feel most gifted for. I doubt that there are many people who think that God has given them the gift of washing up, the gift of clearing up, the gift of putting out chairs, the gift of serving, whatever it may be. But we all do that because it's important. You may not be a sprinter, but you can still run for a bus when you need it. And actually, let's not be limited by the gifts and say, sorry, it's not my gift, I'm not going to do it. Church involves each of us, yes, using our gifts, but also willing to lend a hand where needed. Um, So the encouragement, each of us have been given gifts. There is nobody here who is without spiritual gifts. God gives gifts to all of us. My challenge is that we value, appreciate and include one another. But also that we are committed to understanding what our gifts are and growing in them. So will you do that? This week, this month, as we go through this series, will you ask God to show you what your gifts are? Now, if there are one thing I kind of hate in life, it's personality tests, psychometric tests. It's those kind of tests that you do something and it tells you who you are. I've seen people say, oh, if you want to find out what your spiritual gifts are, here's this great survey and you fill it in and it tells you, yes, you're the apostle and prophet to the nation. By the way, please send £10 to our ministry. You know, it's kind of a bit nonsense really. And there's all these ideas of you find out your gifts through this test. 
And then we ask each other, what are you? And I'm an ENTJ. I'm a this. And, you know, if that's your thing, that's fine. Um, but actually, when it comes to gifts, we don't discover and grow in our gifts simply by filling in a survey. We go grow and discover our gifts through being a part of a community of church through loving together, through serving together, through developing one another. And my challenge is that we really need to do that. And we need to be open to growing. And also realizing sometimes that our gifts change in life. Our gifts, my gifts have changed in life. My personality has changed. You know, I used to love people from morning to night and always want to be around people. I have a lesser capacity for that now. It surprises me. Sometimes I find myself thinking, I just want some alone time. And then I think, who are you? Because I've never used to think that way. And actually, some of us, we may have uh, experienced using some of the gifts that God gave us at some point. But don't be locked into it. There are gifts that are for a season. Gifts that grow, gifts that come. Because they're about God's grace. It means that he gives us as he sees fit. So the gift of mercy. You know, it says there uh, in verse 8, if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know, mercy is so fundamental to the understanding of who God is. Without mercy we'll never understand God if we don't understand his mercy if you are a follower of Jesus if you've been made new born again that is simply because of God's mercy it didn't come because you were good enough but God through his grace and his mercy has been at work in your life you know we don't The wonderful thing about God is that he doesn't give us what we deserve. The Bible is clear, isn't it? The wages of sin is what? Death. But what's the free gift of God? It's eternal life, isn't it? In Christ Jesus. That's God's mercy demonstrated. We were far from God. But God in his mercy brings us alive, makes us new. And that mercy is so fundamental to who God is. As we study the Old Testament, we see God's relationship with his people is defined by his loving kindness, his mercy towards his people. You know, as a church, our heart is that we want others to see and experience the mercy of God Because we've seen and experienced it. And mercy and showing mercy is a byproduct of coming to know who God is. Now, I believe that all of us are called to show mercy. All of us are called to understand and be people who are merciful. But there are some people that have that particular gift And it's hardwired into them. Now, they are people that we need 
as a church because otherwise it's easy for us to become hard-hearted. You know, I trained under a guy called Kurt Erickson who has that gift of mercy in abundance. Amazingly so. When I met this guy, he had uh, homeless guys living in his car. There were homeless people sleeping on his sofa. Wherever he went, there was an entourage of homeless guys and people from particularly broken backgrounds. And he would just literally kind of crawl over glass to serve very, very broken people. It was hardwired into him. I remember asking him near the start, Kurt, how do you do that? And he said, I had, he said that he experienced 15 years of drug and alcohol abuse and God in his mercy saved him. And he said, I can't but be merciful. And God had given him that gift to the extent, you know, when I first met this guy, um, we went out and we saw, we did some homeless ministry with him early in the morning, central London in winter. We realized he didn't have a coat. And it was freezing. Like he'd be out on the streets for a couple of hours in the middle of winter, starting at you know half six in the morning. And we said to him, Kurt, where's your coat? And actually he said, Oh, I gave it away. And Annie was really concerned about him, so she gave him some money and said, Can you buy yourself a coat? And she gave him actually quite a large gift and said, Buy yourself a good coat. So what did he do? He bought two coats. One for himself and one to give away. Fast forward three weeks, we meet him again. He's without a coat. Kurt, what did you do with your coat? There was this guy in need and I couldn't let And it just that sense of hardwired mercy was in his heart. And that gift of mercy is so important because that helps to raise all of our levels of compassion together. You know, if you have a church without people who have gifts of mercy, then actually we all become just that little bit more hard-hearted. You know, one definition of mercy says this, um, it's a quality of God and one that God requires of his people. It denotes compassion and love, not just feelings and emotions, but that which is expressed in tangible ways. Another definition talks about it designates that quality in God by which he faithfully keeps his promises and maintains his covenant relationships with his chosen people despite their unworthiness and their unfaithfulness. You know, we think about the idea of loving kindness, that God spares us from what we deserve, that he doesn't give us the punishment that we've earned. The implication is that God's mercy isn't just a feeling, but it's demonstrated. And time and time again, we see throughout, particularly the Old Testament, God's heart of compassion and mercy, and very often directed towards the marginalized. If we look in Exodus 22, verse 21 onwards, it says this, don't treat an alien don't ill-treat an alien or oppress him. That doesn't mean, you know, space alien, but it means somebody who's an outsider, a refugee kind of thing. For you were aliens in Egypt. Don't take advantage of a widow or an orphan. 
If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, don't be like a money lender. Don't charge him any interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. We see that God's anger is aroused by injustice. Why? Because he's compassionate, but also that he's responsive to those who cry to him for mercy. You know, in terms of understanding our giftings, it's really important to understand that particularly those who have a gift of mercy may become really stirred by injustice. It doesn't mean they're just an emotional wreck. But actually it can be God speaking through them to us to be angry about injustice. Time and time again you see in scripture that those who receive mercy are those who ask for it. It's interesting, isn't it? To receive mercy we have to ask I think that means as church, we need to be around those who need to see, receive and experience mercy. If we're only around people whose lives are comfortable, then I think we'll ignore the cry of the poor. We'll ignore a cry for those who experience injustice. In this passage there in Exodus, remember, God is calling his people to be a light to the nations. What he's saying is, people will be able to look at you and see my character. So God says, this is why you are not to practice injustice. You are to be generous to the stranger in your land, generous to the fatherless, generous to the widow, generous to the poor, because then people can see who God is. And if we want to really be Christ's hands and feet extended, we need to be people who understand the mercy of God. It's important that we go beyond feeling sorry for people but that we allow God to stir us to action. Now, one of the things I love about my job at working at Lansbury Lodge is I get to spend time every, most days, with Gary. Now, if we're talking about the gift of mercy, you're probably thinking, well, Naomi must have that because she lives with Gary. <laughs> and five children, yeah. But, but actually... Joking aside, Gary is somebody who very much has the gift of mercy. He is able to work with people from very different, difficult, complex, broken backgrounds who can be really quite unreasonable at times. And his heart is stirred by compassion. Like He probably wouldn't mind me saying this, but naturally speaking, Gary's inclination wouldn't have been to patience. But God has given him a gracing in that area of mercy to the point where I just think, Gary, how do you put up with some of what you have to go through? 
but it is God's gift at work in him. And I just see sometimes he, he seems able to look beyond the difficult behavior to see the brokenness of the person inside. And he responds with compassion. He responds by saying, how can I help? He responds by picking up the phone in all kinds of strange hours. And, but there's something about mercy that's hardwired in. Not just a, oh, I feel for you, bro. But actually, I feel for you. And how can I help? And that's something about the gift of mercy. But I think partly... One of the things is we understand God's mercy. We understand it's not deserved. I don't know about you, but, you know, I like to help people who deserve my help. You know, the person who is an unfortunate victim of circumstances. We have compassion for them, don't we? You know, the guy whose house burned down and it's just a nice guy. You know, yeah, let's do what we can to help. The world wants to do that. But what about the person who's brought trouble on themselves? What about the person who robs their mum of the savings and goes spends it on drugs? Are they undeserving? Does that mean we don't help people? And actually mercy means being able to see brokenness. And even being able to see the cause of brokenness maybe being self-inflicted but still says this person has a worth and a value. And those with gifts of mercy, particularly often able to see beyond the brokenness, beyond the troubling behavior, beyond the difficulty. I want to encourage us to think about what is our response to people in front of us when we can see that they contribute to their own chaotic situations? Are we still ready to be merciful? You know, mercy isn't earned. I was, let me read you this from Titus, Titus 3, 3 to 5. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of pleasures and passions. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God saved us. I don't know about you, but I see myself in there. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, malice, envy, hated and hating. That's the human heart without God. What did God do? He saved us. Why? Because of his mercy. It's not earned or deserved. Brothers and sisters, we need to see God's mercy in our life, but we need to extend God's mercy to others. So, just quickly some thoughts on using the gift of mercy. You know, firstly, all of us are called to be merciful, but some of us have that gifting specifically. 
And we need to really draw from those people and encourage them. You know, gifts need each other. I was thinking about that with this plumber and his, the heating engineer and his, his apprentice. They worked really well together. Their gifts complemented each other. Actually, in church, we need to work well together. We can't just outsource compassion ministries and working with uh, the marginalized to those with the gifts of mercy. We can't outsource it and say that's their job. It's something that we all do together. But also we need the gifts that work together. If you only have people who have gifts of mercy doing something, then there's a tendency for things to become overly sentimental. And sometimes we need people with different giftings. People who will see things differently together because it keeps us in a good place, being able to see things reasonably. Particularly working with very broken and marginalized people, we need grace, mercy, but also we need truth. Because otherwise we can help sustain people in what should be unsustainable lifestyles. And that's really important because the gift of mercy has a vision for change. It doesn't just enable people to continue living lifestyles that are ultimately destructive for them. You know, in my years, I've done quite a lot of counseling with people with addictions. And, you know, one of the classic situations is somebody is addicted to drugs and the family keep bailing them out and at some point they want to keep giving money to the person and at some point you have to have the conversation with why don't you give that money directly to the dealer because that's where it's ending up and actually giving money to that person actually is helping them to live a destructive lifestyle that's not showing mercy at that point In fact, that's helping to work towards someone's destruction. And I think sometimes we have to face, when we get involved with difficult lifestyles in ourselves and others, we have to face those questions. It's very easy to give that advice to others. I only learned the truth of that when I had to deal with somebody in my own family, a very close relative who had an addiction. And I kept giving them money and helping them out of it. And then at one point, I realized if this was someone sitting in my office, I would be telling them they shouldn't be doing that. At some point, excuse the analogy, but you've got to smoke what you sell. And and I had to realize that actually I needed to take the advice that I gave to others. And had to say, actually, I'm not going to continue to do this because it's not good for you. And it was so, so hard to do. But what helped me was that somebody who had a really prophetic edge to their ministry just really challenged me about it. Again, we need different gifts that work together. Mercy needs truth alongside it. We should make sure that we're not helping people to stay in addictive lifestyles or stay in lifestyles that are not sustainable. 
think also partly we need to make sure that mercy doesn't just become paternalism. I heard somebody say, don't do for someone something that they could be helped to do for themselves. Mercy has a vision for change. It has a vision not to keep people in need so that we feel needed, but to see them become what God has created them to be. Notice the word here says, if mercy is your gift, do it with cheerfulness. I love that. The Bible's so real, isn't it? It's not like this, if you've got the gift of mercy, it just, you know, nothing sticks to you. You don't find that you, you don't feel broken by the brokenness around you. No, if anything, it's the opposite. Those with the gift of mercy most intensely feel the brokenness and pain of those who they work with, those who they seek to help and work alongside. And I love this idea of let it be done cheerfully. I remember once meeting some guys who did this amazing ministry in Atlanta in working with the homeless. And from the outside, it just looked amazing. I had coffee with them and they were broken, bitter people who really despised the people they were supposed to be serving. You know, the world has a term for that, compassion fatigue. But actually, that's what happened. They had this tremendous ministry, but they didn't like the people that they worked with. And somehow their hearts had grown hardened. And I want to encourage you, if you have the gift of mercy, if you have a compassionate heart, make sure that you're dealing with the issues of your own heart. Make sure you're talking to somebody. Make sure you're not just placing yourself into unhelpful or unsustainable situations. Mercy has a vision for change. It's really interesting. If we see, in, just contrast two verses there. Mark six thirty four says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And then Matthew fifteen thirty two, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. It's interesting. Jesus, very similar scenarios. He has compassion on there because they were hungry. But also he has compassion on them because they were lost. You know, as we seek to serve those whose lives are are blighted and broken particularly, We need to have a vision, not just for physical change, but spiritual change. For some of us, it may be we want to give people the gospel, but can't be bothered to give them a meal. Others, it may be that we want to give them a meal, but we don't share the good news of Jesus. Jesus had compassion on people because of their hunger, but also because of their lostness, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And for those of you who have the gift of mercy, understand and know that people need help in practical ways, but people need the gospel because ultimately that changes the human heart. The ultimate demonstration, I think, of mercy in the gospel is in, in you know, with the, the guy living among the tombs whose life is broken, he's 
he's living in amongst the tombs. He's an outcast. He would cut himself. Uh, nobody would be near him. He was known as the local flip out. He encounters Jesus. And within a short time, he's changed. The most incredible meeting. And it says that he was clothed in his right mind and seated at the feet of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when we see and encounter the world around us with all of its hurts, brokenness and pain. Do we just want to walk on by, not get involved? Do we want to just go somewhere else where people aren't so complicated? Do we just want to go back to our own comfortable life? Or are we ready to engage in need? Incredible thing, if you look in Mark's gospel, Jesus goes all the way to that guy in the tombs, has an encounter with him, restores him, and then gets back in his boat and goes back where he came from. It was just for that one guy. God loves the marginalized. God loves the afflicted, the broken. And he has a heart of compassion towards them. Brothers and sisters, we need likewise to do so. And we need to nurture, develop, and and celebrate those who have a gift of mercy. But we need to allow each of us to have our hearts stirred By the calling of the lost and the broken. Let's just take a moment just to of quiet, just to ask God to break our hearts. When I was 18 years old, I sat in Leicester Square. I was out doing some work, um, some uh, an evangelistic outreach, and I saw a homeless guy sitting on a cardboard box with a blanket around him. He invited me to sit with him. I wanted to share Jesus with him. He wanted me to sit with him. I looked down and thought, that blanket don't look hygienic. That cardboard looks nasty. No way. And yet I felt God challenge my heart. And actually, this guy was offering me some of his blanket and some of his spot. He was showing hospitality. And as I sat with him, I began to listen to him. I heard his story. He was there that night to commit suicide. He'd come to the end of himself. He showed me this box of tablets that he wanted to take, this jar of tablets he wanted to take. As I shared Jesus with him that night and we talked, he said the most remarkable thing at the end. He said, I came here as my last night. I was going to commit suicide. He didn't become a Christian, by the way. But he said, I've got a friend who's a priest. I'm going to go talk to him. And he gave me that, those tablets and said, I don't need these now because I've got more hope. Sometimes it can be life or death. That very day, God broke my heart for the homeless. It meant that from that time, there's just been a compassion there. There's been a a grace. There's been a desire to see the needs of others. My prayer is that as a church, God would break our heart for what breaks his heart. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that we are only here because of your mercy. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of your goodness. And Lord, I want to pray today that you would speak to each one of us. Break our hearts with what breaks your heart. 
Father, I pray that those with a gift of mercy in this church, Lord God, would feel wanted and valued. Lord God, that we would uh, hear their hearts and their voices. We would allow them, in one sense, to enlarge our consciences. Lord God, help us to uh, be a church that loves people, that's stirred into action and compassion. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.